Welcome to episode nine of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor. And I'm your co-host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I am an author and erstwhile editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. Today's topic is going to be digging deep how to find the will to go on with your NaNoWriMo project. Yes, because this is, this is the third week of NaNoWriMo, so we're kind of in, in the dreaded middle mm-hmm. of, of the process. So this is, for most, for most writers, kind of the hardest part to, to get over and to, to figure out how to finish especially if you're behind on your word count, mm-hmm. it, it just seems incredibly daunting. Or if you are, um, even if you are caught up on your word count, it's not like, it's not quite like you can see the finish line yet. You're almost there, but not quite there. Right. But you've lost that momentum and early excitement from the beginning, uh, where it was new and exciting and you were going to conquer it this year. And now you're just kind of stuck. Yeah, there's a certain point in writing for me um, that I used to call the hole, where I'm beginnings I'm pretty good with. I'm beginnings I generally don't have a problem with. Those come fairly easily to me, um, and endings I'm terrible with. I'm, I'm always bad about endings. I know what the ending should be, but I don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. So, but the whole always, and, and I'm a long writer, so I, I, I write pretty long, but the whole always comes around 60 to 90,000 words, which is the middle, the middle of the book. So I, I know how it feels. It, it sucks, but you got to kind of just power through because if you quit now, then you're never going to finish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so kind of a story about that. So a couple of years ago, I had this ill-conceived idea that I was going to run a marathon. <laughs> I'm not a runner, you guys. I hate running. I'm terrible at it. I don't even know why I bothered to try and do this. But anyway, part of me, I was living in New York at the time, and I, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting to do the New York City Marathon. Uh, without actually knowing how hard it was to get into it. Like my conception of it was, oh, you know, well, I'll apply and then I'll like walk the 26.2 miles and get to see all of New York City from Staten Island, which in the 10 years I've been there, I live there, I never actually visited or stepped foot on Staten Island. So I was like, I don't think I did either, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the borough everyone forgets about, really. Um, but I thought I'll I'll do it. And, um, but it, it actually took a lot of work to even qualify for the marathon. And in New York in particular, they offer this thing called, um, the New York road runners, which is a running club. If you run nine qualifying races with them and then volunteer at one, you are automatically, uh, entered into the following year's New York city marathon. So that was actually, I thought much more manageable, I could run those nine races. They weren't all marathons. They varied in length. They were anywhere from like a mile sprint to 5Ks, 10Ks, and one was a half marathon. And I did the half marathon as one of my qualifying races. Um, And honestly, for the first 
seven miles, I was doing okay. I never liked running, but you know, the beginning's always okay because I'm not so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and the middle, mm, this kind of sucks, but you know, I, I was actually doing okay. At that point, the longest I'd ever run at any given time was actually five miles. Y'all, I didn't train for this half marathon and uh, don't do that because that's the way you get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was in it and I was, you know, like first seven miles, I was doing pretty good. And then eight and nine got kind of hard. And then between 10 and the end, my legs stopped working. Mm. Like, but I was like, I was like 10 and a half miles into this half marathon. And I was like, I am going to finish (laughs) this race. I am this far. I am not going to quit now. So I did. I, I. I, I just, I hobbled, I shambled, I like, I, I, I hurt everywhere. Like the bottoms of my feet hurt. Uh, the tendons in my hips were so tired. They were starting to spasm a little mm. bit. So I just was like twitching and sham. I looked like a zombie, but I did it. Like I could see the finish line and I got there, but that last 3.1 miles and that's only that's only a 5k that's not that long but the last 3.1 miles was the hardest of my life but i said i wasn't going to give up so that's where we are right now we are in the last 3.1 <laughs> miles we are, we are shuffling zombies <laughs> so how to keep going at this point it's any trick you can find mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. any trick you can pull any bit of motivation, everything, and you throw, you got, you got to throw everything you've got because this, it's hard and finding the motivation is going to be different from person to person. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if you, you know, Kelly and I earlier, we brainstormed about what sort of issues people might be having at this point during the month. And, uh, I think probably for a lot of us, we are behind on our word count. Yes, I am behind. <laughs> I am behind. I don't know if I'll be behind by the time this airs, probably. Uh, we're, when we're recording it now, it's um, still week two. Is it week two? Week it's three? the 11th what, what, today. It's the so. 11th. I don't even know. What, what is time? I don't know. Um, I don't know where we are or when we are or what. Um, but it, we're, we record a week ahead. And so uh, as of right now... I am woefully behind. Um, I've got around 6,000 words <laughs> for day 11, which is not where I should be. Um, I have been writing almost every day. I think there is one day that I missed, but that I knew consciously that I was going to miss that day. Um, I'm just having trouble getting enough words, um, you know, finding the motivation to sit there and uh, type it out. Um so for those of you that are behind, I am with you, <laughs> but we're going to do it. I am, I am going to finish NaNoWriMo. I'm going to hit 50 K by the end of the month. I'm determined. Mm-hmm. And that I think too, really is just kind of what it comes down to. You know, the other night I was complaining to David, my husband, that I had to sit down and write. Uh, I didn't want to, I wasn't in a good place with my story. I didn't know what was going to happen and I wasn't feeling good about it. And I'd had a long day, um, 
that wasn't a great day. And I just, I just didn't want to do it. I was just complaining to him. I was like opening my laptop and whining about how now I had to type all these words. And he just kind of looked at me and he was like, this is something you want to do. Like you, (laughs) you willingly signed up for NaNoWriMo because you wanted to achieve this. You wanted to write a novel in one month. No one is forcing you to do this. No one, you know, is going to be upset with you if you quit. It's not, you know, there is no external factor or motivation. You're strictly doing this because you want to. And right now, he said to me, you don't really sound like you want to. So either you want to do it, in which case, shut up and do it, (laughs) or quit. Um, you know, but know that you're quitting and know that you're quitting because you don't want to do it. You're not quitting. I wouldn't be quitting because it would be too hard and I wouldn't be quitting because I wasn't capable and I wouldn't be quitting, you know, for any of the other excuses that I like, it's just not a good time right now or all these other things, which like might be true, but aren't the core reason. The core reason would be that I just didn't value it. I just didn't want it enough Mm -hmm. to make room for it in my life and to make myself do it. Um, and I, as much as it kills me, I think that's probably (laughs) true. I think that's really true. Yeah. You, we all signed up for it. So, you know, it's, it's not like anybody put a gun to our heads and said, you must do this or else. So we all, we all signed up for it. So, I mean, it, it is hard to write every single day. I, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of a unique thing. I don't actually think writing every single day, if you're a writer or professional or not, I don't actually think that's necessary. I think right. writing most days or treating it like, you know, a day job, you know, where you work on your writing eight hours a day, five days a week. That's one thing, but writing every single day is, is very hard. And I, and I know that. And, in particular, I'm uh, no, I won't be able to write very much at all tomorrow and Friday, Saturday, and maybe a little bit I can write on Sunday. But I am at Y'all Fest, which is a book festival in Charleston, and I just I know I I've been to Y'all Fest before um, past two years I've been, and I know I just don't have time to write during those during that. So my hope is. I don't know if I can do it because I am ahead on my word count. My hope is I want to try and get to 25,000 words by tomorrow, Mm. which means I have to write 4,000 words tonight, which is not (laughs) happening. But if I am able to break that down to, I don't know, 2,000 words, which is really only about 400 more words than my normal word count, and then to somehow squeeze in 2,000 words in between things that work tomorrow before I leave for Charlotte... Um, I mean, even if I don't hit 25,000 words, I'm not going to kill myself about it, mm-hmm, but right. you'll still be in decent shape. I'll be in okay shape. But even if I do fall behind, um, you know, I just, just gotta pick myself back up and sit down and just keep writing until I catch up, you know, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't try and make up all of your words all at once either. Cause no, you know, you, if you were 5,000 words behind, there's no need for you to write all 5,000 words to catch up in one night. 
you know, if you just add incrementally 100 words, 200 words to your existing word count, that is much easier to get your mind around mm-hmm. than writing and trying to catch that up. You know, going back to my running metaphor, it's a lot easier when you're training for a marathon to get your mind around, okay, I'm going to train for 5K, and then I'm going to train for a 10K, then I'll train for a half. You know, you, you sort of gradually expanding, you know, adding, adding miles slowly, adding miles incrementally. So it doesn't seem so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's the same thing. The whole marathon metaphor is kind of apt, you know, that's, that's what a lot of writers call the act of writing. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, so it's a lot, it's willpower now. I mean, that's that's where you are at this point in the race. This is this is sheer will. Mm-hmm. You're you're getting through. You're, it's sheer will. You haven't you haven't you don't see the finish line yet. So you, you don't have that extra push. So now you're just putting one foot in front of the other. And even if you can't see the finish line, every step is bringing you closer to it. So that's that's what you have to do right now. <laughs> um, I try and trick myself with rewards, mm-hmm. the dangling carrot, because, um, you know, honestly, sometimes simple things like that work best. <laughs> it's like, okay, if I finish, if I get 500 words within the next hour, then I can get up and get a piece of chocolate. I don't even like chocolate, you guys, but, you know, anything, literally anything, mm-hmm. anything helps. Um, lately I've been like, okay, if I hit this many words, I will let myself go to the gym. So I know that's a weird reward for a lot of people, but it's like literally the only place I can go and just shut my brain off. Right. So if I can just get through this amount of words, I can let myself go to the gym. So that's, that's how I'm, I'm tricking myself. That's how I'm dangling that carrot in front of me. (laughs) Whatever works, whatever yeah. works. What about you? Do you have any tips or tricks that get you going? Um, I I do think that rewards are good and useful. Um, I do have a problem with sneaking my rewards before I've hit my workout <laughs> because that kind of a thing only works if you have really great self-discipline, which uh, I have many great qualities uh, and self-discipline <laughs> is not one of them. So that works for me sometimes. Sometimes I need to make someone else the gatekeeper of the reward, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and trust the chocolate to my husband and tell him he can't let me have it until <laughs> until I show him my word count or something. Um, but that does work for me sometimes. I really find that for me, um, I have been the most productive when I'm writing in short bursts. Uh, if I'm doing Pomodoro technique, which I've been using a lot, I have a little app on my phone and that's been really helpful. If I'm doing word sprints along with Twitter, um, it's much easier for me to focus for short amounts of time. If I have, you know, a whole chunk of time blocked off, like this past weekend on Sunday, I had a writing date with a friend and we had, you know, we, I, I don't know, we were there for four or five hours. 
but we didn't write for four or five hours straight. Um, we would start talking or we would, you know, try to write and get distracted or whatever. And so until I started being really disciplined with it and I would set a timer on my phone and say, okay, we are going to write for the next 15 minutes, the next 25 minutes. Um, that was much less daunting to me than saying I have the next six hours to Mm -hmm. write. It just seemed really manageable. It seemed like I could give it my all and really get immersed in the writing. And then the time was up and I could look at my word count. And, you know, because I was so focused, the word counts were pretty substantial. I was, you know, always hitting around 500 words, if not more, um, sometimes as many as seven or 800 in a 15 to 20 minute period. Uh, whereas, you know, I might get only, 400 in an hour if I were just, you know, writing for an hour and looking up something online and Mm -hmm. checking in on Twitter and, you know, just not really, um, focusing. So if you find that you have a problem focusing and your word count is really suffering as a result, um, I really do recommend that it's, it's really been the only thing, the only ways in which I've been successful. And I think it's how I'm going to continue to write for the rest of the duration. Um, you know, I might take an hour and say, I'm going to write for this hour or this two hours, but I'll break it up into those little chunks of time. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe with some rewards scattered throughout. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I'm going to keep bringing back the running metaphor because it is very apt. (laughs) Um, we all have kind of a natural pace when it comes to writing. Um, and sometimes you can improve your pace if you practice it long enough. Um, but I think we have a natural pace for me getting out around, around 2000 words is about three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. That's how long I know it takes for me to write about 2000 words. And that's my pace. That's my writing pace. Um, also, like running for me, I start out slow, but the more I write, the faster I write. So the first, you know, first 25 minutes, I may only get 300 words, but the second 25 minutes, it's 500 words. The third 25 minutes, it's 800 words, you know, so the longer I'm at it, the quicker I get. And then Mm -hmm. I just sort of hit a peak, you know, at a certain point, like really I can only write at most, I think for four hours before the quality of writing just deteriorates Mm -hmm. and falls apart. Um, so for me, I think knowing that about myself and I've written enough now, like, you know, for beginning writers, for people who have not written their first books yet, or just haven't done this enough, or, you know, they, you may not necessarily know this about yourself, but this is you know, I've written a couple of novels now. I've done Nanorama before. So I, I, I know now this, this about myself, that the longer I do it, the faster I get, the faster the words come. So, you know, I think obviously you don't have to do it now, but for those who want to continue writing outside of Nanorama, I think sort of making a note of that helps you, you know, making a note, during this amount of time, I got this many words out and you start to kind of build a database, like just a, just data, you're collecting data and you're analyzing the data about yourself. Um, you know, the other thing for me is 
after for years of of this, I know that my best writing times are actually seven to ten in the morning or five to eight in the evening. I cannot write at any other point in the day. I just can't. My brain doesn't function. I mean, I'm barely I'm barely awake at three p.m. So, like, I just you know that's kind of right around the time I need my afternoon afternoon coffee or afternoon tea to wake up. But you know, the more you write, the more you start to realize that these are your working patterns. And you try and arrange your schedule around that to try and accommodate. These are my peak writing times. Um, and if you, you know, and if you know ahead of time that you're not going to make it, then to try and make it up in other ways. So I think, you know, being a little bit more mindful, not just of what you're writing, but how you're writing definitely helps and definitely gets you through things. But right now, the only thing that's kind of pulling me through is the dangling carrot like the gym or if I finish my word count I get to watch a movie or if I finish my word count I can read a chapter of this book or if I finish my word count I can go and and say hi to my partner because I haven't seen him in a week (laughs) like that kind of a thing he's you know being a doctor he's very busy so (laughs) the two of us kind of are shut up in our respective offices doing our work so it's like all right if I hit this many words, then I can take a break and go say hi and sit and cuddle for like five minutes and then I have to go back to work. <laughs> but yeah, the, the reward system is the only thing that's really, really getting me through this right now. <laughs> it's awful. I know. It's torture we've inflicted upon ourselves yeah. for reasons unknown. I mean, I really do feel like I'm like deep in the darkness now, and I'm like, why did I even say <laughs> I was going to do this? What made me think this was possible? Uh, but it is possible, and I'm sure I had a good reason for wanting to do it, <laughs> even if I can't remember what that reason was right now. You know, you know they say that... Um women forget the pain of childbirth just so they can have another child. They say that. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I can't speak to it, but... (laughs) I haven't really forgotten anything. (laughs) But yes, they do say that, that you... The hormones kick in, and you're just so, you know, blissed out that you think, oh yeah, sure, I can do this again. And then you're hit with the reality of it, and you're like, oh, this was a mistake. I feel like the same selective amnesia applies to, to writing a book. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh yeah, I can totally do it. And then in the middle of it, you're like, why did I think I could do this? I it, it just it just seems difficult and and un, and just impossible. And I guess it's it's because writing is is not systematic. It's not formulaic. Mm-hmm. It's not like data entry at a job where you just plug in the numbers and it spits something back out. There's so much work (laughs) on multiple different axes. There's just work on every level. Yeah. And this is something that I've been thinking about too, in that I'm trying to reframe the way that I think of NaNoWriMo in that, um, for me, and I know it's probably not this way for everyone, but for me, given that it's been so long since I've written, uh, and I'm just kind of returning to that practice now, and I'm very rusty, it really is for me all about the word count. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to write a certain number of words in this set time period. I do not 
anticipate that I will actually have a complete novel, like the end, I have resolved all of the issues Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. I'm not expecting to have completed a novel in that sense and that the story has been completed. I'm really looking at at it as a word count goal Mm -hmm. that I'm going to try to hit. Um, And thinking about it strictly in that sense has been helpful as well because writing is very difficult. It's very difficult to get back into when you have not done it for a number of years. Uh, it can be really frustrating. I've found that I'm getting really frustrated with it because like anything else, um, if you used to do something constantly and you no longer do it, you're not going to have the same quality or output or, you know, and it's, it's just, it's just not going to be the same because you're not exercising that muscle anymore. And so you've lost that ability. Um, so I was getting really frustrated about the quality of my writing and the quality of the, the craftsmanship of actually erecting the story, um, the story structure and the plot and the character development and all of these things that I know go into making a good novel. Um, because of course I want to write a good novel. (laughs) I don't want to write a piece of crap. I mean, what I'm writing is a piece of crap, but that's not what I, I, you know, I obviously want to put out something brilliant or at least good. Um, but letting go of that quality aspect has been important to me too. And, you know, everyone says that rough drafts are terrible and everyone writes terrible rough drafts and you always, you know, look at them and think, oh, this is garbage. Why am I a writer? Even if you've published 15 books or Mm -hmm. more. Um, and so there is an element of truth to that as well, but there's also something, um, even more fundamental than that with what I'm doing in that. So I've had a, a breakthrough with my NaNoWriMo project or a change of heart or something. I don't know what to call it, but basically I'm completely relocating it in a different pseudo time period and pseudo setting, which is, (laughs) it's radically different now than it was, uh, from my initial conception. Um, and it is, it, it changes everything. The, the, the fact that I'm changing those things has, it filters down into the characters and the way it affects them and the world that they live in and the things that they do and, and what the plot is and so on and so forth. So I just kind of decided that earlier today after talking through what was going on with my project. And now I'm kind of faced with this thing where the first 6,000 words that I've written are useless because (laughs) My, not, not useless. Not useless. And I'm not going to discard them. I'm, I earned those 6,000 words and I'm keeping them. <laughs> um, they, they won't be a part of, you know, the revisions of whatever this, whatever happens to this project when November is closed. And honestly, it might just get shoved in a drawer and never seen again. And that would be fine too. Um, but they're, now that I've kind of made this breakthrough, they're clearly, they clearly don't belong to this story. So I've written 6,000 words that don't have anything to do with what I'm going to be doing going forward. Um, and I think my first instinct with that too, is to feel really defeated, uh, instead of looking at it as like, well, it took those 6,000 words to get me to this point, And now I sort of know what I'm doing, <laughs> which 
you know, is a more positive way to look at it. So no matter what is going on, if you're behind, if your story doesn't make sense, if you've completely changed your story 6,000 words in, um, just keep looking forward. <laughs> just, yeah. just keep going. And, you know, all those words, they're not wasted because you can always fix them later. Mm-hmm. Even if those 6,000 words that you wrote don't fit in this new version of the book that you're working on, some version of that will remain too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, my book has been through so many different incarnations. It's had characters removed then put back in. It's had the settings, you know, rearranged. It's had magic added at the 11th hour. Um, and so all in all, if I look at my previous drafts and all of the cut words that I've put there, like just cut words, uh, I call them orphans, just bits of writing that I like that don't fit. I've written 326,147 words. Okay. And this is not counting my current draft. Um, (laughs) but I don't consider any of those words wasted. And in fact, I even reuse some of them. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like I'll, I'll write and, and I come across a scene. Um, for example, yesterday or maybe it was two days ago, I was writing a scene and I knew the scene was in this book where my protagonist overhears two people talking and some version of this scene has existed in every draft. Um, so I got to that point and even though I actually rewrote all of those words, I went and I found the most recent version of that scene, mm-hmm. stuck it in my draft, and then I rewrote them. But I had at least a structure to work from. I knew the beats of the scene. I knew even if the content of what they were saying was different, the beats were still the same and I could work from that. So, you know, again, you you may have 6,000 words that don't fit anymore, but it doesn't mean it's entirely wasted because at some point you can you can reuse them, and I do that with l- even down to small descriptions of characters' physical appearances, because that hasn't changed in in my book. You know the physical appearances of my character haven't changed all that much. So, you know when it comes to a scene and I'm describing the way a particular character looks, and I know I've already done this before, and I know I've done it better somewhere, <laughs> I will search my previous drafts and be like. Okay, where where did I write a scene describing this character? And then I'll pluck that out and then stick it, slap it back into my new draft and, you know, cut and revise and excise as necessary. So, I mean, this is obviously not something that you may be doing doing NaNoWriMo, my situation being a little bit unique. But, you know, again, they're not wasted. You just mark, okay, this is the point where my book has changed. I'm just going to move forward from now. You just keep going. There you go. <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to talk about, um, Kelly and I touched on this last week, where we both said that we have seasonal affective disorder, and just finding the energy to write can be very, very difficult. And I wanted to talk a little bit about I being able to identify the difference between feel like writing because it's hard or I don't feel like writing because I don't know what I'm doing or oh I don't feel like writing because you know something else has come up there's that and then I can't Mm -hmm. 
and I don't mean writer's block in the sense of, oh, I don't know what's happening next. Um, but just, I can't. I emotionally cannot. I cannot open my document. I cannot look at it. I cannot. You can't access that part of yourself. Yes. It's, it's blocked off. It's dead. Um, you know, whatever you want to call it. I do suffer from bipolar disorder. Um, so there are, and I've, you know, I've lived with this diagnosis over half of my life, ever since I was a teenager. And it's still a work in progress for me to identify when I don't feel like it is me being lazy about it. And when I can't, is it just, I can't, like, I can't open it. I can't think about it. I can't touch that part of myself. And, you know, if you are at a place mentally or emotionally where you just can't, where it's painful or just dead and you mm-hmm. can't do it. And, you know, you said, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo, but you, you can't then be kind to yourself. It's okay. You can say, you know what? I'm going to step back and just not going to do it either this year or today. You know, you reevaluate how you feel day by day. Some days you can, you know, for me, my disorder every day is a fight for stability every single day. Some days I can actually fight for it. Some days I can work and work and work and achieve it. Some days I'm blessed with it. Some days I wake up and I'm blessed with being stable. And other days I just can't. And I think that's, and that's okay. And having, learning to forgive myself for the days that I can't is incredibly crucial, you know, and this is depression. It can be grief. It can be, you know, there, there are many reasons why you would not be able to write. And, and I think you would know, you know that about yourself. You know, there are days when I'm definitely lazy when I'm just like, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> it's like, I would rather just sit and read this book that I bought yesterday. Cause God knows right now, that's where I am right now. Anything sounds better than opening up my document and writing. But I know also that that's just me being lazy. That's me being lazy. You know, the past two years have been pretty rough for me in terms of my disorder. I, so I wrote my debut in 2013 and I, you know, revised it and I've kind of written two, two, like started writing two and a half ish projects in the meantime, but I suffered quite just a long depressed phase where I couldn't work on anything creative. And, you know, for a long time I was beating myself up about that, but I was like, you know what? I just couldn't do it. And I shouldn't beat myself up about it because I couldn't, because being unable to do something is not a shameful thing to in itself. You know, I think there's a lot of shame attached when, when people are like, I just can't write right now. Because you hear a lot of that, you know, a real writer writes every day or a real writer has a routine or a real writer, you know, X, Y, and Z. All of that is just nonsense because a real writer just writes in any possible way he or she can. Just any way, any way that works. That's what a real writer does. So... You know, if NaNoWriMo just isn't working for you because you can't do it, 
then that's perfectly fine. You learn to forgive yourself and be kind to yourself. But again, trying to identify when you're feeling lazy and when you can't, that does differ from person to person. And that's still something that I work on. You know, I'm 30 years old. I first got this diagnosis when I was 16. And over the years, I have gotten better about identifying it. But it still blindsides me every once in a while. Sometimes I can. Sometimes I can't. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have to know yourself and how to best take care of yourself. And, you know, and really do take care of yourself. Like JJ said, if if you can't, no, no good will come of pushing it. Mm-hmm. And, and you can get, and obviously you can get help, you know, or... I don't want to speak for everybody, and I, I don't know what everyone's circumstances are like, because it can differ. I was fortunate when I was young. I have, I had, and I still have, extremely supportive parents. Um, because bipolar disorder runs in my family, they kind of, I wouldn't say expected it per se, but they were already aware that this is just something that some of us, in our DNA, that's what we have to live with. But, you know, if you are suffering from depression or or grief or anything like that, you know, finding therapy in what ways you can helps, you know. And some for some people, writing is therapy. For others, it's not. For me, writing is not therapy. It, I don't find it therapeutic. For me, therapy is therapy. Mm-hmm. For me, going to see a therapist and talking to a therapist, that that is extremely helpful, um, more than writing about, you know, writing about it. I think because therapy gives you tools, Mm -hmm. but writing doesn't. (laughs) Writing can be a tool that you use. It can be a tool. Yes. But I think that you're right in that, um, that it's not in and of itself, it, it, it's not the solution. It's something that you can use, you know, to get, because I, um, have been diagnosed with situal situational depression at various times in my life where, um, I had depression that was related to very specific events that were happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I've been in therapy and seen different therapists at various points for that. Um, and for one stretch of time, um, while I was going to therapy, I was also writing, uh, about the things, um, that were happening to me and what was going on in my life and just lots of abstract word vomit on the page. Um, and for me, that type of writing was very helpful in that time period of my life, but it was, I think my, um, working through things in therapy with a therapist that, um, was the most beneficial thing. And then being able to write about it was something supplementary that I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of go back to and, and use the things that I wrote to fuel further discussions in my therapy sessions. Um, and I, you know, it kind of helped me realize that I'd been thinking about some things that I wasn't even aware that I was thinking about. And so, you know, in that sense, um, I did find writing comforting, um, at various points in time when I was depressed, but I've had other times too, where, um, I've experienced depression. I, uh, had partum depression when I was pregnant 
And I, that was not a thing that I knew was possible. I, you know, everyone has heard of postpartum depression, which is, you know, after you have the baby and you become very depressed. Um, and so I had heard of that and my midwives and I were, um, planning to have some safety nets in place because I had experienced depression previously in my life. It made me more likely to have postpartum depression. Uh, but I didn't get postpartum depression. I got partum depression. I got very, very deeply depressed while I was pregnant. Uh, it was probably one of the worst periods of depression I've ever been through. And I had no creative impulses whatsoever. Um, I did go to therapy and that helped tremendously. Uh, my therapist was phenomenal and I'm so grateful, um, to have been able to work with her and to have had her assistance. Um, but I, I could not, you know, that was what JJ was talking about before when you just can't, I, I could not access any part of myself that was creative or that could, um, you know, think of, I just, I couldn't writing would have been impossible for me, um, at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, depression can take all sorts of different forms too. And it may not be the same from, you know, mm -hmm. bout to bout if you have them that way. Or, um, you know, for me, my depression tends to be, I tend to be unable to feel things. I've always described being depressed as, or there's, a, you know, sort of a general state of me. There's, I'm, when I'm stable, I feel like me. When I'm manic, I feel like I'm too much me. And when I'm depressed, I feel like I'm not enough me. And for me, that's how it sort of manifests itself. I am just not enough of me. I can't feel anything. I can't get excited about anything. And for somebody who is as nerdy as I am or as geeky as I am, like the inability to get fangirl excited about anything is just strange to me. It's I'm not enough me. Um, so it, it can, it can change and it can be different. You know, sometimes when I'm depressed, I just find emotion too overwhelming just in general. And I just need to be alone. Sometimes I desperately need to be with somebody, you know, you just learn to be kind to yourself because we're, you mm -hmm. know, as humans, we're not automatons. We don't work the same day by day, by day, by day, by day, by day, we change. Um, as much as I like to think that I can work the same day by day, cause it would make my life so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, if I had a routine, I'd stuck to it just like clockwork. My life would be so much easier and so much more productive, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. We don't, we don't function like that. We're human beings. So we have to sort of be flexible and, and give and take as necessary. So, you know, that, that spectrum of I'm lazy because I've definitely had those days. I mean, there are definitely days where I'm just like, oh, I don't feel like it. I just want to. I'm constantly lazy. I'm constantly <laughs> lazy. Um, I'm, I don't know. Like, it's funny because I think of myself as not being particularly lazy. And then I think, eh, no. But I love to nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Napping's great. It's a great Napping way to pass time. I know. You'd think that, you know, <laughs> I don't know what it is about children not wanting to nap, not seeing the beauty of napping because <laughs> my daughter can't stand it. And I'm just like, you don't know how good you have it. Someday this is going to go away. 
it will be it'll be a hole in your life that you can't just take a nap after lunch oh um, gosh the food coma that's oh. another thing the older i get the worse food coma gets for me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i'm also really uh susceptible to distraction my husband and i teasingly um call each other enablers because we can lead each other off the beaten path so quickly. It's like, you know, if I'm sitting down and I've, I've got to write and then David comes in and is like, Oh, I know you're writing, but you know, I was thinking maybe at some point we could like watch Netflix or something. It's like, I've thrown my laptop halfway across the room and I'm <laughs> grabbing the remote control before he even finishes the sentence. And it, I mean, it just could be anything. It could be, you know, like let's open a bottle of wine on a Tuesday night and, you know, drink our troubles away or let's go to bed early. That's, I'm really into going to bed early now to always, I, that's always not, that's not just a new parent thing. That's just, I love sleeping, um, yeah. but like, he's like, Oh, let's get in bed at you know eight o'clock and read our books and fall asleep by nine and it's like the merest suggestion of anything else to do I'm like I'm on board I don't care what it is (laughs) let's do it um and so you know it it really is uh you just you just gotta hammer down hunker down rather and uh and just commit to it just get it done you know just get it done the worst is when whether I'm writing or doing anything and you put it off because you don't want to do it and you put it off and you put it off, but it still has to get done. And then it's just hanging over you Mm -hmm. in this, you know, horrible cloud of neglected obligation. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so if for no other reason, just sit down and bang out your word count just so you don't have to have that feeling. I hate that feeling. <laughs> after we after we record this podcast, I have to go write my words because I'm so behind and I have to write. And it's like, it's going to be nine o'clock and I'm just going to want to have some tea and curl up in my bed and go to sleep. And, and I can't do that because I have this cloud hanging over me. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <sighs> This is like a really peppy podcast this week. (laughs) You can do it, you guys. You can do it. You can do it. (laughs) We're right in there with you, you guys. We're we're all in the same place. We are are speaking from deep experience here. (laughs) Next week. Next week will be the big hurrah, but... Today, yes. man, I don't know. This is this is the the dark night of the soul. I think, as Joseph Campbell puts it, <laughs> the dark night of the soul. Okay. Yeah. Um. This is actually a resource. I think for some people who, like me, you can't plot in terms of like story beats. Um. But looking at narrative structure as a whole, this can be pretty helpful. Joseph Campbell wrote uh, something called "The Hero with a Thousand Faces." And um, where he sort of distills the typical hero story mm-hmm. um, into, they're not beats per se, they're just sort of like archetypal things that happen. Like, you know, this is the point where he meets the mentor. This is the point where he meets, you know, you know, crosses a threshold, This, you know, like that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so it was a bit more metaphorical than sort of like, this is the midpoint, this is the whatever. Um, 
so I, I mean, I read Joseph Campbell a long time ago, but I, there is that point that sort of like the part where all, everything seems to have gone wrong, you know, and it's the heroes at the, the darkest part and, you know, everything's gone all wrong. He doesn't know how to fix it. Doesn't know how he's going to come out of it. So that's kind of what was labeled as the dark night of the soul. And this is week three of NaNoWriMo. It is the dark night of the soul. (laughs) That's what it is. Oh man, guys. Oh man. So, I mean, like I said, this is the point where you're just like anything, anything, any possible way you can trick yourself into getting those words out do it take it you know at other at other times you know you you know at the beginning you can be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna be carried through through my by my discipline and by my enthusiasm but discipline and enthusiasm can only take you so far (laughs) the rest of it is just putting you know just like i said putting one foot in front of the other you know, you just you gotta find it. You gotta dig deep for that for that drive and that motivation. And it may not even be a drive. It just may be kind of a kind of a puttering, like coasting forward. But you know what? Just anything, it'll get you there. So I think I think that's more or less what we have for you know tips, tricks, uh, not quite so peppy pep talk. Yeah. <laughs> Such as it is. <laughs> So we can we can move on to are we reading anything are we enjoying anything uh, what um, carrots are we dangling in front of us to what get carrots us? are we dangling in front of ourselves um, well I really am not reading anything um, unless you count parenting books which I don't read a lot of parenting books at all um, but we're reading a book right now by Ellen Satter um, called How to I don't even know what it's called. How to how to feed your children. I don't know. It's about toddler eating habits. I'll look up the actual <laughs> title of it and put it on uh, the show notes. I just my brain's done. But uh, it's a book about how to not raise a picky eater. My husband and I love um, cooking, and our daughter cooks with us. And um, it, food is a big part of our life. Our life, rather, and so we really want to make sure that our daughter is an adventurous eater. So we're hoping this book is going to help us do that. Although she eats pretty adventurous food anyway, to begin with. So, Mm. uh, so yeah, not reading anything, um, fiction wise at all. Just haven't had the time trying to do some writing. Um, in terms of dangling carrots, um, the winter has begun Mm. and in the winter, uh, my husband and I play video games. (laughs) (laughs) We don't play video games in the summer because it's beautiful out and there's too much to do. And, and we both enjoy video games, but we're not, you know, we, we are by no means um, really hardcore gamer people. Um, I only know how to play like a handful of games. But last year, my husband and I started playing uh, Dragon Age Origins, which is um, an RPG where you create, you know, your character. We are a rogue elf. Uh, and so we're playing and it's like, you know, one player and we're past the controller back and forth and we're going on these quests and we're killing orcs and we're befriending 
dwarves and, you know, doing all this stuff. And it's really great. That <laughs> I really is the most highly enjoy thing it. ever. <laughs> it is. And we started it last year and we couldn't finish in the winter, you know, and so we literally put it away for the entire spring and summer. And, and I think it was um, the day of daylight savings time. We broke it back out again. <laughs> and so in the evenings we'll play it. And it's in, it's got an interesting battle system. You know, you, it's very um, tactic driven. So you can kind of pause and set up which attacks your party is going to do before, um, you know, unpausing it and then watching it happen. I don't know. I know nothing about video games in terms of like the general uh you know, accepted vocabulary and whatever. So I'm sure that those of you who play video games are just cringing as I try to explain what this game <laughs> is and how it works, but we love it. It's so fun. We're really into it. And so we started doing that. And so that is my dangling carrot. I tell myself, okay, I've got to write my words so that we can play our game. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that is, that is adorable. That is, that is so, that's so cute. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a gamer. I think uh-uh. some people are, are surprised because I'm, I'm pretty nerdy slash geeky in nearly any other aspect of my life, but I just don't have the patience for video games. Uh-huh. I don't, it doesn't hold my interest. Um, my partner is a gamer. Uh, he likes, uh, sort of more strategy based games, I think, but you know, he plays league of legends. Um, he plays hearthstone. He plays magic, magic, the gathering, um, and, you know, sometimes these RPGs come out and he'll play those as well. I think he had just recently finished, actually, he, he most recently finished the director's cut of Kingdom Hearts. I love Kingdom Hearts. That's the other video game that I Yeah. Love. Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 and Final Fantasy 7 are the only three video games I've ever finished on my own. But, mm-hmm. um, and I love them. They think they're great. But, you know, like, um... Far Cry 3, I think, was probably the one before that, and, like, Borderlands 2. So, mm-hmm. you know, he plays a lot of video games, and um, I watch him play, you know. I like watching people play video games. Depends. If there's a good story to it. Yeah, well, it kind of depends, because some do really great cutscenes, you know, and the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Like, The Last of Us. I don't know if you've heard of that game. No. That's so good. The Last of Us... I can't remember who the company is that put it out, but it's it's basically a post-apocalyptic zombie game. And you play this guy who is trying to survive, and it just, the story is so good. And I think it might be the same company that did the Uncharted games. I don't know if you've heard of Uncharted either, but those have excellent stories. And so I like, like sometimes when I'm just kind of fed up with the game mechanics of watching Mark play, I will just YouTube the cutscenes of, uh-huh. of like the Uncharted games and just watch them straight through that way because <laughs> they're better. I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with the, like the finding stuff and the making it and the finishing right, the quest. Right. Like that doesn't interest me. <laughs> the story does, but that, that doesn't interest me, but I'm, I'm not a gamer at all. You know, I'll watch, but I'm just not interested in playing. The only games I play are like solitaire. Mm-hmm. The 2048 tile game, which I've gotten to 4096. So I'm, I'm trying to get to the, the next one beyond that. Um, well, that's it. Well, my dangling carrots, um, aside from the gym are, I just got Marissa Meyer's newest book, Winter? Oh, it's not at the library yet. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I check every day. I'm like, is it in yet? Is it in yet? <laughs> um, so I, I didn't read Ferris. I also got Ferris because I, I kind of realized that it had come out and I'd totally forgotten to read it. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to I wonder if I should read Ferris before I should read Winter. I think you should. Mm-hmm. I think, in fact, because yeah, because Winter. Now I'm just remembering who the character of Winter is. You should read Ferris first. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my dangling carrot. If I finish, if I hit my word count, then I get to read like a chapter or whatever. But usually, by the time I hit my word count, it's like you know ten thirty, eleven, and I'm old, and mm-hmm. I I just I don't read. I just go straight to sleep and fall, just pass out. Um, but. On the rare occasion, like yesterday, I was so proud of myself because I managed to f- hit my word count, go to the gym, and grocery shop all before 8 p.m. That's amazing. I know. I, I'm not going to be able to repeat that, by the way. That's like a <laughs> like a one-off thing. Um, but I so I in that as a as a reward to myself, I bought those two books. I was like, this is this is it. I'm going to. This is my reward. I did all the things that I, I needed to do today. Um, so that's one. Another one was. Um, I just, I just needed a laugh because, you know, this time of year I desperately need laughs. Um, there's a a movie called What We Do in the Shadows. It's, I don't know if you've heard of it. It came out in 2014. It is a New Zealand film by one of the guys who did, who was part of Flight of the Concords. Um, but it's a vampire mockumentary about these vampires who live in a flat in, I think it's in Wellington, in New Zealand, and it's a comedy. It's so funny, and, you know, I just was like, I need to see this, but I was like, but, you know, I have to hit hit my word count before I'm allowed to watch what we do in the shadows. Um, But that's that's a a recommendation for you guys. Uh, One of the, like, just... It's so funny. If you guys like Flight of the Concords, this is definitely the sort of humor that's up your alley. Um, it's adorable, you know, and you know it's these cute New Zealand accents, and um, you know, and it's basically the the premise of this movie is that this crew was led in to sort of film the these undead lives of these vampire flatmates who live in Wellington, a couple months before this big um, the un, this big masquerade ball happens. So he, they're just sort of chronicling the lives of these guys. Um, it's, it's very, very funny. And then one night, and they're all, you know, one of them is this, like, super old. Another one is from the Middle Ages. And another one is from, like, the Victorian era. Another one is, like, an 18th century dandy. And then one night... They they turn someone else into a vampire, and so he's like kind of like the you know the modern guy in this house of vampires that is just like super old. It's it's just it's kind of a situational sketch sort of a thing, but it is very funny, and it I it's only like an hour and a half, and I highly recommend you guys watch that. So those are those are the carrots that are getting me through, <laughs> getting me through the day, trying to finish. Oi. Well, do you have any sort of tools as well, aside from Pomodoro that you're using? <sighs> Pomodoro and word sprints, um, for sure. I, I probably should do something like 
uh, disable my Wi-Fi, but <laughs> but I haven't I haven't gotten that quite that desperate yet. That'll that'll come in the final days when I'm when I'm scrambling to uh, to make up lost words. Um, but no, I think other than that, those are really kind of the tools that I that I use and GChat and and getting you to tell me what to do next. <laughs> Every time I get every time I get stuck or panicked or whatever, I just talk to JJ and I'm like, "What do I do?" And then she very calmly uh, asks me some important leading questions that you know invite me to think about things in a more rational way, and uh, I calm down and, <laughs> and do I some work. Do that for my own work. I can troubleshoot <laughs> anybody else's book, but my own. Uh, it's like when I was an editor. <laughs> It is your gift. It is your curse. <laughs> yeah, trying to figure out what, what to write next is um, really hard when you're a pantser. I'm just, I'm at this point where I'm like, I know what I think should happen next, but I am so far from that where I think I should be right now that maybe I should just ignore that and go along this path that I've gone down. This is what I think has happened to George R. R. Martin. I don't know if you guys read Game of Thrones. But I, this, this, A Song of Ice and Fire, I do like those books a lot. And sort of with each book that comes out, I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't think George knows how to end this series. <laughs> I, I think he knows what the ending should be. I think he knows what he had planned it to be. Um, but right now, where we are in those books, I'm like, how, I don't know how you're going to get there over the course of one book, George. I don't <laughs> and I think he has also admitted that he's he's a pantser as well or as he calls it he's a gardener um I think so that that so for those of us pantsers who are like I don't know what I'm doing uh George R. R. Martin is a pantser too and uh, he seems to be doing just fine <laughs> so we'll be fine we'll be fine it's okay because <laughs> I don't know what I'm writing next <laughs> Hang in there, everybody. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> we can do it. We can all do it. We can do it. That's all for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about the final week of NaNoWriMo, the finish line. As always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance as it helps other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at pubcrawlblog, as well as on Tumblr, Instagram, and Facebook at publishingcrawl. You can follow me, Kelly, at bookishchick on Twitter or Instagram. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJ Jones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website at sjjones.com. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, please feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. And I'm your co-host, JJ. I am an edit... Uh, I cannot talk today. Here we go. <laughs>